I like ideological diversity. I like ethnic diversity. I like regional diversity. Right. Class diversity. Class diversity. I, I literally just said the same thing, right? Diversity. Um, but that's typically not what you get on a lot of college campuses. You have people who think the same, who look different. And to me, that's not particularly diverse. So you had Michael acknowledge, like, listen, the policy. You have people that think the same, but look different. Woo-wee. He's not perfect. Average. And every politician was as resolute in, in talking about the importance of the natural family as they are about telling white folks how they should feel about black people. I, yeah. I do think that that would make <laughs> a difference. Whoa. Holy, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't get this far into the debate, but he's going in. He's cooking. Bruce Lawn. All right. So the decision just came down uh, from the Supreme Court to overturn affirmative action. Now, I, to be fair, don't know all the particulars of how and who affirmative, how affirmative action works. Which I, what I do know is a couple things that we'll discuss in this video. One, I do know that affirmative action has historically benefited a lot of white women, believe it or not, okay? And it's also negatively impacted Asian folks. Asian folks that tend to score higher and don't get into some of these uh, prestigious colleges. But I also understand the reason behind it to attempt to kind of balance out some of the terrible laws that happened, you know, around Jim Crow, post Jim Crow, so on and so forth, like like uh, redlining and uh, uh, stuff like that, right? That, that that was the attempt. And so I wanted to look at uh, a back and forth, a rather heated back and forth on this conversation from people that are a bit more versed in this topic. And uh, it gets pretty heated, all right? So uh, it starts out polite, but then it gets pretty heated. So here is another clip from our friends over at Breaking Points who just cracked a million subscribers and they hosted a little panel on this. Okay, and we're gonna jump into this. Things like redlining, income inequality. I mean, you can look at DC as a perfect example. When you cross into Anacostia, the schools are failing. But when you go to Chevy Chase, Maryland, 10 miles away, they have marble floors. They've got teachers with master's degrees. Those things matter because... So he's talking about why affirmative action was a thing. How different schools have different quality of teachers, different education based on the zip code. How one of the biggest predictors of how you do in life on, 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 in terms of financially is your zip code. Okay? At the end of the day, income inequality shows up in very different ways. So black Americans, our income is $45,000 for the average median African-American. But for white Americans, it's 75000 And when you start to have... Pay attention to this gentleman here, all right? Those kind of disparities, it affects you all the way up. And so I think in terms of affirmative action, what they're really looking at is trying to level the playing field. It's not perfect, but I think it's been something that's been important, not just for African-Americans and Hispanics, but for white Americans as well, because it teaches the differences in what's going on in society. Black Americans can uh, give perspective and white Americans can learn from those perspectives. And median definitely can be uh, deceptive for sure, right? Because you're talking about averages, you're also factoring in outliers, outliers that are making billions and billions and then outliers that are making very, very, very low, below poverty. And we'll get to the polling on this in a little bit, but what we've actually seen, interestingly enough, Michael, you'll have a chance to respond to this, Delano, is that in terms of leveling the playing field, this has uh, changed the levels of the playing field, particularly for Asian Americans. Um, so, so white Americans, one demographic, I think that has, has probably been hurt in some cases, but very obviously, especially when you're looking at the Ivies or California public schools, Asian Americans have really been feeling the brunt of this as it's an effort to sort of level the playing field. How much do you think that sort of conspicuously over the last couple of decades in particular has has exhibited or, or made the case that I'm sure you've probably been on board with for a while against affirmative action. So my, my views on affirmative action have sort of morphed over time. I, I think, yeah, I think part of it is one, I'm big on defining terms. And I, I think a lot of people confuse affirmative action with racial preferences, with diversity sort of writ large. Um, I, I understand, you know, Michael's point, but the, the, the honest 
you know, if we're being honest about it, Harvard, the students, the black students that are going to Harvard are not coming from east of the river in Anacostia, generally speaking, or West Baltimore or East Flatbush, Brooklyn. We're not talking about the lowest income students. It's typically, you know, middle class, you know, black students who are, you know, going to Ivy Leagues and other selective universities. And, I, and to your point, I do think uh, because of the complexity of race and its evolving nature over decades, what ends up happening is that Asian students feel like they are paying for what the society says white people did to black people some number of years ago. And I don't... That doesn't make sense. I think everybody could agree it doesn't make sense. Even though some laws have good intent, if they negatively impact people that had nothing to do with said situation, like generationally remove people that, that may have benefited from some of the, this redlining and this nonsense that happened, right, 50 years ago, to then folks that, I mean, Asian folks literally had nothing to do with the situation, like like nothing at all, like nothing remotely at all. And if you look at the average income of whites versus uh, blacks versus Asians, Asians out earn whites. I think ultimately you can't have equality in any sense when you are subjecting different people to different standards of assessment based on skin color, ethnicity, or any other immutable characteristic. And that, that's, that's what's actually happening at Harvard. So a few, a, a few data points. Harvard has, you know, the applicants ranked um, in deciles. So, you know, first to 10th, 10th being the highest, you know, number one being the lowest. A black student in the fourth decile has a higher chance of being admitted into Harvard than an Asian student in the 10th decile. Mm. Now, mind you, if you're in the fourth decile at Harvard, you're not some schlub. You'd probably be in the eighth decile at the University of Massachusetts. Mm. But, but that student is be being given an artificial bump over a student who has a more competitive academic background because of this notion that um, this is going to, I guess, redress some of the issues that have gone on with race in our country's past. And is that helpful? So he's saying an Asian student who is in the 10th sector is not getting in over uh, black students in the fourth sector. Does that serve either of them well? I don't know. I don't know, because I do think there's value in a variety of perspectives and life experiences and people being able to share, but I don't know if that serves folks well in, in, in this regard. I don't think that's sustainable. And I think the biggest reason why, and I think Michael knows this and would um, acknowledge this, is that racial preferences um, are unsustainable because it's something that its proponents demand, but will never claim. Mm. Because we'll say, Oh, we need racial preferences to keep Ivy Leagues diverse. But then any particular black student who's there to say, oh, you only got in because of racial preferences. They say, oh, no, that's not true. I earned my way here. Ugh. So those two things are irreconcilable. Yep. And none of us want to feel as if we're being tokenized. So I, I hear a few arguments there, Michael, uh, to get you to respond to. So number one is that the policy is discriminatory towards mm -hmm. Asian Americans. I do think that there's some evidence that, that backs that up. Number two is that, okay, if your goal is to uplift... Um, poor are Asians considered a minority? Because then a policy that was supposed to pull up minorities is negatively impacting minorities. That don't sound right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm no scholar here, but that some sound, some feels fishy about that. That means the policy didn't work right. And so if we then call them the model minority, what does that mean? They're the model minority? Why? Because they work hard? Because they, they're smart? Like that, that sounds, that sounds racist. No? Tread lightly here, okay? I'm just saying. Poor black folks, this policy really benefits more middle class to upper middle class black folks. And number three, that you, if you are a black American, this is something that Justice Thomas, for example, has, has spoken to. If you are My a black American who is, <laughs> oh, perceived, <laughs> who is perceived as having benefited from affirmative action, mm. then you're always going to be sort of taken down a notch that you're always going to be viewed as lesser than because you are even perceived to have benefited from this policy. Now that, that, that is ironic, by the way, as the conservative Supreme Court justice, Clarence Thomas, who is black, often gets dismissed as a benefactor of affirmative action. That's a mess and a half. 
pretty sure he was one of the folks that wanted to overturn this. Let me address the lesser then. Affirmative action isn't gonna like cure that. Whether you're <laughs> at Harvard or elsewhere, there's insidious bias in this country. And I think, you know, affirmative action is never gonna redress that. But what it can do, and I actually disagree with the idea that uh, black people aren't going to Harvard from poor schools, because when you look at the numbers, uh, most African-Americans who are going to elite universities are first generation uh, college students. And so- That doesn't mean they're not coming from middle class, upper middle class families. So if folks are going to college as first generation, that doesn't mean that their 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 parents didn't own businesses to uh, give them an advantage, right? I think the idea that somehow it's going to make African Americans feel like they didn't get there on their own or they didn't deserve to be there, I think that's no offense, like intellectually lazy. Because at the end of the day, uh, African Americans are starting on first base, and you're seeing a lot of white Americans just based on things like redlining neighborhoods, funding, starting on second or third base. And then what about the point on Asian Americans? Because I, to me, that's been one of the more compelling points is that this is the group that has really, you know, quote unquote, suffered from affirmative action. You see, you know, in, in systems that do have affirmative action, the number of percentage of Asian Americans has been diminished. You've seen efforts even at like elite high schools here in Northern Virginia to try to deal with the fact that they feel like, oh my God, we got too much, too many Asian students. Yeah. You've seen some horrific things that, I mean, are just- in That is awful. My opinion, overtly racist, where they'll take an Asian candidate who has really high grades, really high SAT scores, but they'll mark them down on these like really squishy sort of like racial tropes yes. of personality, personality to try to make the, the school a little bit less Asian. So what do you think of that critique of the policy? Well, I'd say uh, Baki, the case from I think 30, 40 years ago, uh, made it illegal to have race be the deciding factor or the deciding uh, decision. It's a factor, but it's not the deciding reason that someone's accepted. Right. They still have to be qualified. They still have to be uh, meeting the threshold to be accepted. But once again, I think it's the idea that if you're starting here and the other person is starting here, then we've got to balance that out. And so Asian Americans aren't underrepresented at universities. When you actually look at the numbers, they're represented equal to population. But when you look at the numbers for African Americans, it's overwhelmingly underrepresented. And in states that have gotten rid of affirmative action, it's almost 20% drops uh, in diversity. And so, you know, whether it's in schools or the workplace, you know, Gap had the issue where they had the monkey shirt. If they had had black people in senior positions, things like that wouldn't happen. I had. I mean, he's kind of right. There were some black folks in a room. That definitely would have. <laughs> I mean, is there a gap or was that H and M? That was H and M. But he's kind of right. And th and this is what I mean by I do think there is value in having a diverse number of perspectives because from just strictly a a, a, a financial system, right? If we're just talking just capitalism, if you have folks in a room that are like, yeah, that's not, not a good look. I bet you Target wishes they had some Christians in the room when they put out the daggone tuck-friendly uh, tuck kids stuff, right? I think, I think, but, but that, that, that's not just a racial thing. That's just an overall, let's have an overall balance of perspectives in the room. That would, that would be, to, 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 to so, so everyone does, isn't catching L's out here. Roommates in college who had never been around African-Americans. And so they had certain beliefs just based on things they had seen on TV and culture. And so having the opportunity to be able to give them that experience made them better. Delano, let me push you a little bit. First of all, do you think that diversity is like a goal that we should even be, that you think is valuable, that's important for society? This is a goal that you generally support. Yeah, I, I think diversity is, is, a, is a good thing, generally speaking, right? But um, I like ideological diversity, I like ethnic diversity, I like regional diversity. Right. Class diversity. Class diversity. I, I literally just said the same thing, right? Diversity. Um, but that's typically not what you get on a lot of college campuses. You have people who think the same but look different. And to me, that's not particularly diverse. So you have Michael acknowledge, like, listen, the policy. You have people that think the same but look different. Woo-wee!
policy is not perfect. Almost mm -hmm. no policy is exactly mm -hmm. perfect. But it has increased. And you can see this in California where they rolled back affirmative action in the UC system some like, you know, back in the 90s, I think. You have seen the percentage of African-Americans decline. You have seen a decrease in diversity. Even though they're trying to sort of work around the fact that they can't overtly do affirmative action anymore, you've seen a decline in diversity. So what do you say to the case that, listen, you might say the policy is not perfect, but at least it's something. At mm -hmm. least it is allowing more black folks to ascend to achieve that middle class dream, upper middle class dream, and make it into elite society in America. So I think a couple of things. One, um, I think what you see in Cal what you've seen in California is that there may be a decrease in number of students, let's say, going to Berkeley, but some of the students who may have been getting an artificial bump to go into Berkeley may be at UC Davis, right? So it's not it, it's not that fewer students are going. I think it's just a, a better match between academic profile and institution. Was, but how better? I, I just saw some research though I, that I, did show that because okay. I've heard this argument before too mm -hmm. that it's actually better for them that they're not ending up at Berkeley because mm -hmm. they're going to be better able to handle the workload at UC Davis, et cetera. Right. There is research though that shows that that's not really accurate. That they will still suffer, you know, an income drop from not being in Berkeley and being in UC Davis or what, you know, one of the other Fresno mm -hmm. or whatever the other. Shout out to my feminine perspective. She said, and we mentioned this earlier in the stream. I'm not sure if you were here. She said about 70% of affirmative action goes to white women and the rest is split between people of color hire people based on qualifications and not race well i think that qu the question here though is i'm going to use a, t a, a flawed metaphor but just follow me i say i'm good enough to play basketball at a rec league level is giving me the opportunity to play at a college level even though i i am not equipped to play at a college level does that serve me well and does that serve the other people well that could have taken up a spot? If, if Look, there's no Armenians that have ever made it uh, to the NBA. There's very few that have ever made it to an elite level of college ball. I'm an Armenian. We want to have diversity because Armenian voices matter and perspectives matter, and they do. So we're going to then lower the on-ramp for a Ruslan to go and play at an NCAA Division One level. Would that serve me well? No, it wouldn't serve me well. Would that serve the other hoopers that are potentially missing out on a shot because I'm there well. No, I can go play at a rec league level. Cool. I'm not supposed to be, and I'm okay with saying I'm not supposed to be at Harvard. I'm not supposed to be at Cornell. I got a close friend of mine, who's ironically enough, black, who went to Cornell. I don't think he was a diversity hire. One of the smartest people I know. One of the smartest people I know. I'm self-aware enough to go, Ruslan, you shouldn't be at the, the at Cornell or at, at 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 Berkeley or at Stanford or at Harvard, right? And so and so it's like now here's why I think it would be fair. Here's why I think it would be fair. Hypothetically, let, let's look at this example. Say there is an Armenian who has never made it to the NBA, and there is a black player, and they're both at the same level. They they play in a game of one v one. The Armenian might win. Or the black person might win, the black player might win. But they're but they're they're right there. They're 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 they're, they're neck and neck. You got striking? And the Los Angeles Lakers go, hey, there's a lot of Armenians who live in LA. Shout out to Glendale. And you know what? Uh, for the sake of wanting to better represent the the the, the ethnic community of Los Angeles, and for the sake of wanting to add some diverse perspectives, these two guys, they're, they're neck and neck. They're at the same level. We're going to let the Armenian in because he's at the same level, and 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 that and he gets the position. I, that, I think, is reasonable. Hey, you want to see something kind of crazy? Over 75% of the people that watch this channel are not subscribed. Please consider subscribing and turning your bell notification on so that you don't miss anything we have going here. All right? Peace.
if two people are operating the same level, right? If you're looking at their uh, NBA 2K 22 scores and their and their ratings, they're both 95s. They let the Armenian because they want to have uh, diversity in the NBA. I go, okay, I, I, I can see that. If you want to represent the community, you want to have different perspectives, so on and so forth. I'm not mad at that, right? I'm not mad at that. But if we're talking about an Armenian who plays at a 85 and a black guy that plays at a 95, and that's their ratings in, in 2K, and then bumping the Armenian over the black guy, that, that, that to me doesn't make sense. That to me doesn't make sense. Other state schools are. So there is backing to the idea that, you know, it is not actually beneficial for them to be in a lower college system, that they mm. would have been better off if they were ever. So, so a couple of things. One, yeah. I, I'm not a subscriber to the sort of Ivy League or bust mentality, right? Um, the other thing is, it's better to get a, to actually get a degree than, than to start at a more prestigious school and not finish. And, and I think it's interesting Ooh. that so many of the universities point to the diversity of the freshman class. Is it they better for me to play in the rec league or to ride the bench and be the water boy in the NCAA. Really say, this is the diversity of the graduating class. And, and I can tell you exactly how, how it's better. If the average Harvard student comes in at a, with a 1450 SAT, and I have a 1360 SAT, which is still above the national average, mm -hmm. it's a very good SAT score, and higher than what I actually scored, by the way. <laughs> um, but it's be, it, but, and I'm in computational physics, and that's being taught, taught at a 1440 speed. I'm at, and I'm at a 1360 speed. I'm going to be behind my classmates. And, and what some of the research has, has shown, particularly at, um, I want to say this is Duke, um, black students are more likely to come in majoring in STEM fields, but also more likely to switch out to liberal arts and you know sociology and, and other fields. And mm. part of that, I do think, is because of the mismatch. So it's not just, let's just get everybody in. Mm. Um, it's how are the students faring while they're there? And, and I will say this, and Justice Thomas said this in, in the um, uh, Grutter case, and he actually is my favorite justice. I'm, I'm, you lose me when you quote Thomas. We're, we're, no, no. we're, we're going to agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> but, we're but, on the Clarence Thomas team, <laughs> and you guys are on the bad team. But one of the things that the Harvard grad, one of the things that he noted is that these policies benefit the universities most mm. because they get to say, we're maintaining our elite you know, selective status, yeah. and look how diverse we are. Um, but again, they're concerned about the freshman class and, and what these universities do, because I do think it attaches a stigma, because no one wants to be referred to as a diversity hire or an affirmative action candidate. And that's why I said, it's a benefit people want, but they won't claim. If, if Michael served in the military and he went to Harvard on the GI Bill, he said, yeah, I got the GI. If I, if I had a disability and I said, yes, I'm benefiting from, you know, you know a disability program, sure, no problem. But the minute you suggest a student at a selective university, a black student, is there because of affirmative action, people bristle. So I, I think we need to, we need to. So the Bonnie Morn Show, so affirmative action is more like access to the same coach so that you can develop the talent of the NBA players. You'll never be as good if you don't have access to the coaches, the transfer. Well, here's the deal. When you're getting to the Harvard level, you're way past the coaches, which what you should really be advocating for, in my opinion, is how can, how can we make the K through 12 experience as formidable as possible for people across the spectrum of income, right? That is what you should be advocating for, which that goes back to property taxes and people moving into specific zip codes because of good schools or building our lives in a way where someone could stay home and they have the teaching gift to homeschool the kids. I think by the time you get to Harvard and Cornell, we're way past the coaching. We're way past the coaching. We're that you're already competing at an, an at an elite level, right? You're already you're already competing at an elite level. So I I actually don't think that's a that's a that's a um that's a fair parallel in my opinion. To be honest, intellectually about the the effects that this that this policy has had. And last thing I'll say is this: it's interesting to me that when the left wants to criticize Justice Thomas, one of the first things that they do is say he's an affirmative action candidate. Mm -hmm. well, he only got the job because he's. I've never said. Sheesh, that's a good point.
So before we get to the polling, I do want to pass to Michael a pretty important question, I think, in, in all of this debate. Sandra Day O'Connor, I think, came mm -hmm. around in her decision basically saying that it's a temporary measure mm -hmm. and a stopgap measure. And I think it's predicated on that idea that it's trying to solve a problem. Like affirmative action wants to put itself out of business Absolutely. and eventually, to your point, level the playing field. So at what threshold? Mm -hmm. um, and, and if there is a threshold, why are we not there yet? And that's hypothetical, or not hypothetical, but that's, that's not a rhetorical question. That's actually yeah. sincere. What is the threshold uh, at which affirmative action would no longer be necessary? When schools in Anacostia are as good as schools in Chevy Chase or in Northern Virginia. Uh, that's never going to happen, man. I hate to say it. That's never going to happen. That's never going to happen. Parents will always create opportunities to put their kids in the very best schools they can. And, and, and some would argue as they should. I think for him to expect the public school system to be competitive across zip codes, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't see that happening. Even if they change how they're funded, even if they change, I, do, I just don't see that as a reality. Uh, that I think is a threshold. When uh, earning opportunities are the same, whether you're black or white, I think that's a threshold. But right now your zip code determines your future. Where you grow up determines how much money you're gonna make, what your lifestyle is gonna be like. And I think that in and of itself is the problem. So when you talk about uh, basically throwing the baby out with the bathwater, uh, it's problematic. Like. We're going to be called affirmative action uh, hires, affirmative action you know, admittance, whether we're there or not. Like There are heavily white schools in Appalachia that are nowhere near Chevy Chase and are probably much more similar <laughs> to, uh, to to Anacostia. So I guess... If you guys don't know what she's referencing is Appalachia is a part of the world, that, that a part of America that is extremely poor and it's predominantly white folks that live there. I believe it's in West Virginia. Appalachian Mountain, it's dark. It's, you're talking about darkness. It's dark there. So she's pointing out, you can't really compare because there's places where they're predominantly white that, that get it, they get hit harder. Why is race still the best proxy um, when it's a class conversation? Because there's a historical factor. To this. Agree, agree. Um, and, you know, when I get pulled over, they don't see me as lawyer Michael Hopkins. They see me as a threat. And I think you've got to look at the historical aspects to all of this. Michael, let me ask. I, I would be curious, like, how did Appalachia become Appalachia? How did these places, these 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 poor redneck places, become them? Was there not some degree of bad laws and bad luck there too? I don't I don't know. I mean, granted, yes, it's different because there was an actual system, systematic effort to remove black folks from the ability to uh, uh, ascertain wealth, to move up the, the the class spectrum. That's different. That 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 that, that is true as well. You, um, this is kind of a, a critique from the left, which is, you know, the the policies that throughout American history have been most effective at actually reducing the racial wealth gap and, it, you know, reducing the racial wage gap have been universal policies. They've been lifting the minimum wage and making it apply to everyone, not having these carve-outs for professions that are historically disproportionately African-American. Things like the child tax credit, Absolutely. that programs that are universal are, number one, more politically popular mm -hmm. um, than affirmative action, which I think we could all agree. We can go ahead and throw the polling up on the screen, which just depends on how you ask the words, exactly. the language or whatever, but it is, it is a divisive issue. I think everybody can acknowledge that. Majority of Americans favor Affirmative action colleges, a Supreme Court seems poised to end it. I mean, m majority of Americans also believed all kinds of wonky stuff over the years. So, I, I, you know, I don't know. More Americans disapprove than approve of college considering race, ethnicity, and admissions office. So both, are, uh, both uh, headlines are on there. So why not focus the political capital on something like increasing union density or lifting the minimum? Ingrid, uh, she said, sorry for confusion. It's a foreign concept to me. Is it because of the cost of education in the U.S.? Is it actually all about money? Is the money the idol issue? No, no, no. What, what he's saying is simply, look, there were certain s systematic injustices against black people historically, and therefore in trying to make up for that, you, you have to try and balance the, the playing field. The, the issue, as, as we're seeing discussed here, is is race the thing that you need to tip the scales for?
with regards to this, right? And does it serve the people well? That's that's the that's the crux of the argument of affirmative action. So wage or achieving universal health care, which may actually be more effective at the goals that you and I both share. Uh, honestly, because Republicans won't agree to it. Like we live in a democracy. We've the Republicans aren't agreeing to this either. <laughs> well, yeah, but this was built in. When LBJ put this system in, he said it's not enough to open the doors, but we've got to level the playing field so that people can walk through those doors. You know, I would wonder, do you have a problem with legacy admission? Because that's affirmative action for white people. Like, not necessarily, it's not. How, it's not explicitly. George, George, w, George W. Bush would not have gotten in Yale, but for the fact that his father was Herbert Walker Bush and his grandfather was Prescott Bush. So yeah, we okay, fair point. That's a fair point. George W. Bush was a C student. Okay, now watch this, watch this rebuttal. I really think same, he earned the standard from Malia Obama? Oh! Well, so you can use one example. That's Harvard. That is a red herring. So you take the first black president, first black president, and use his daughter as the one example of how affirmative action works. I'm an equal wage dimensions guy, right? So, so if it's like shots fired, indeed. When the left talks about class and billionaires, right? Eat the rich. They love to talk about Bill Gates, but Oprah Winfrey's a billionaire. Is is she included? So, so if you say you're against legacies, how many how many black billionaires are there? I have no idea. Exactly, because there's not very many. That's irrelevant to the point at hand. There's only about a thousand billionaires out there, and I believe about fifty of them are black. Could be wrong on that number. There's only about ten, ten or twenty in America, but the I think I think those are the numbers. I'm a, I like to focus. Racial preferences at selective universities don't have to do with how the police see you or, or all these other issues because at the end of the day, that does not correct the issues in K through 12 education. And one of the things that the left does not the result speak of about- The We can get, that's a, that's a different segment. One, 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 one of the things that the left does not speak about as it relates to education is family, home environment, the, 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 the ethnic breakdown, Asian, white, Hispanic, black, that you see in um, admittance rate to Harvard tracks SAT scores, it tracks the number of hours that students um, focus spend on homework, both the number of hours and the percentage of students that spend five days a week doing homework. But then what the left says is, no, we, we have to correct these issues at Harvard and Duke and North Carolina. But Delano, I, I don't think that's actually fair as someone who has okay. had some critiques of the affirmative action policy because uh, the left does talk about things like child tax credit, mm -hmm. things like paid sick leave, things like paid family leave, which may right. not be the way that you talk about families, Correct. but it's certainly a policy that helps. Watch this. She about to cook. She about to cook. It's about to get more sense. Watch this. Watch her body language. This is so good. Watch this. Watch. Just, just watch. Support families helps enable people to have families, helps enable people to have healthy families and maintain a marriage, which could be under a lot of financial stress. So I don't think it's fair to say that this is the, this is the only policy that they focus on mm -hmm. when there are a broad range of policies that have been discussed and some of them implemented even under right. the Biden administration mm -hmm. that are targeted directly at families. I, I think it's interesting that you, you say that. Let's go back to Harvard alum. President Barack Obama, to his credit, and I will give him credit for this, is the last president I can think of, particularly the last Democrat, national Democrat, who regularly spoke about the importance of marriage, fatherhood, and family as it related to social outcomes. In 2016 and 2020, the, the Democratic National Party um, took those references out of their party platform. Uh-oh. And now, if you want to talk about family, it's child tax credit, it's uh, maternal health care. And I'm, I'm not against any of those things. I'm not against, you know, pay family leave. But that's a different conversation than saying um, the ideal situation for every, every child in this country is to be raised by two married biological parents and a low but conflict loving parent. The the uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. But okay. hold on, the job of the federal government though mm -hmm. is to set the policy landscape, right? It's not to mm -hmm. get into people's lives and tell them you should be married or you shouldn't be married. You can, yeah, it should be. If you if you're incentivizing people to stay together, why? Because there's 
the benefit of raising a child in the same home with the same nuclear parents, nuclear family, that serves the child. And if you want more productive people, the government should be incentivizing that. Absolutely. You know, by having a policy of, for example, the child tax credit mm -hmm. or lifting wages so people can afford to support a family, mm -hmm. that's the job of the federal government. So that's why it makes sense that that is the conversation that is ha happening at that level. And by the way, mm -hmm. I do find it, you're talking about what the left does, et cetera, et cetera. I find it very selective that the right loves to claim they care about families and might even say like, oh, in theory, I support child tax credit. Mm -hmm. But when brass tax came, I didn't see any Republicans supporting the extension of a child tax credit. That's a, that, that, that's a fair point uh, in terms of the child tax credit and, you know, helping people to pay for child care and stuff like that. And I'll just very quickly, because I think you're going to say something similar. As a welfare state has expanded, so has fatherlessness among not just black kids, but kids in general. Uh-oh. Being expanding. I mean, since, since Bill Clinton the, since ended the ended welfare as we know it. Mm -hmm. we, so, so the, the idea that the welfare state is expanding, I think, is belied by the evidence. It's a pretty stark contrast pre-LBJ and post-LBJ. And the trajectory of the black family has been one direction since then. And we may disagree about correlation there, but it, it is clear that since America created a bigger welfare state, fatherlessness has expanded. Well, like, Uh-oh. It's getting, getting tense here. You have to look at crime for that. I mean, when you look at the and and and, and I, I know how these arguments go. They're gonna they, see. You see, notice this, this conversation really gets into the the merits of systemic racism and how you even define systemic racism, right? As a there, there's a, a plethora of ways there of, of how we could define these terms: a systemic racism, past laws impacting present realities, or systemic racism, an intentional effort to withhold and hoard wealth. From a specific people. I disagree with the latter definition of that. And I think most people disagree with the latter definition of that. I agree with the former definition of that. Systemic racism, past laws, impact present realities. You know what I mean? The fact that you've put uh, black people in neighborhoods because of redlining, because of historical uh, inadequacies, put them in neighborhoods where they have failing schools, lack of job, uh, job opportunities. Yep, this is all true. Anacostia doesn't even have grocery stores until like five years ago. Mm -hmm. And so you set people up for failure and then basically say, but it's your fault. Let me, I want to shift the conversation a little oh, bit because there's- I, I want to respond to the, go to ahead, the point Go ahead, respond, to, respond um, to the point. I, I, I agree, the job of the federal government is to set policy, right? Yeah. But politicians, including the president, they have a purse, they have a pen, and they have a pulpit. And politicians have no problem using their bully pulpit mm. to say, you should think this. The, mm. the last particularly three so, Tawana, years. Do you really Whoa. think that if Joe Biden got up there and said, you should stay married, or you should, like, there's so yeah. many other factors that go into yes. that. Can I, can, I, can I <laughs> that would like solve the problem. Can I ask you a question? <laughs> yeah. I take a position that in city after city across this country, if every sign that said Black Lives Matter said marriage before carriage, and every politician was as resolute in, in talking about the importance of the natural family as they are about telling white folks how they should feel about black people, I, yeah. I do think that that would make <laughs> a difference. Whoa. Holy, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't get this far into the bait, but he's going in, he's cooking. Matt, Donald Trump, like, oh, so you can't talk about family. He said marriage before carriage? I've never heard that one. Marriage before carriage. Should we make that a t-shirt? That would be a bet. Would that, would that be an ill t-shirt? Marriage before carriage in the same font type font as Black Lives Matter? <laughs> that, I'm, I'm, I'm trolling, but that's it. That, yeah, wow. In the left. Trump, not is, not, Trump is not my, my standard, but continue. I mean, you, you talked about, you know, specific people. Donald Trump isn't about the family. I mean, he's had multiple marriages. I mean, listen, Joe, Biden, prostitutes. Joe Biden's family is under, you know, attack right now. Some of it justified. Mm -hmm. But he certainly talks about mm -hmm. his family and, you know, uses that as a model of it. clearly fatherhood and his family is important to him. But mm -hmm. I think we just have a very philosophical difference here, which is that you put it on more on the individual and I put it more on the systems and the structures that are in place that make it very difficult for people mm -hmm. to be able to afford a family, stay married, get a house, get that, you know, middle-class sort of bourgeois mm -hmm. stability mm -hmm. that is the core of the American dream. Mm -hmm. So 
we'll put that philosophical, ideological difference to the side because Fair. one piece I'm very curious about is, um, I mentioned before, California affirmative action has been dead for a while in mm -hmm. terms of the UC system. And they've used some proxy workarounds that are basically like looking at class mm -hmm. instead of looking at race. In Texas, they have a program where the top 10% of uh, high school grads at all you know, high schools within Texas, that they are admitted to the UT, UT system. And that has also had an impact of, it's basically a workaround because you have, you know, schools that are... Okay, you guys go watch uh, the, the the rest of this debate. So I think these things need to be debated. I think they need to be talked about. Um, and I think that's a W, that, that they're having these conversations. Hey, this is a segment from our daily after-party stream. Consider partnering with us online for as little as $5 a month to get access to these daily after-party streams completely unedited. You'll also get access to our podcast as they are streamed live into the community before anyone else gets to see them, get to interact with our guests, get access to our private Discord server, and a discount code for our store for as little as $5 a month. Ultimately, that will help towards helping us continue contextualizing the gospel using media and podcast here on YouTube. All right, I'll see you over there. Peace.